welcome. Isn't it great to be in person? And those of you in the back, will you give me a signal if you can't hear me? I'm that row especially right there. You have former colleagues and um, students. It's always fun. So we're going to start out with a different book. We're going to talk about digital life together, but we're going to start with Goodnight iPad. It is by Anne Droid. Um, and it does say a parody for the next generation. In the bright buzzing room, there was an iPad and a kid playing Doom and a screensaver of a bird launching over the moon. There were three little nooks with 10,000 books and a huge LCD Wi-Fi HD TV with Bose 5.1, six remotes, and 3D, and a Blackberry ringing with Eminem singing. Okay, for those of you who are really young, do you still know what Blackberries are? <laughs> and a new Facebook friend and tweets with no end and a viral clip of a cat doing flips, and the bings, bongs, and beeps of emails and tweets. And a fed up old lady who was trying to sleep. <laughs> Good night, iPad. <laughs> How many of you have heard that before? <laughs> oh! So that's where we're going to start. Um, good night, iPad. And I want you to be thinking about, OK, what do we do with this? Um, question, when do you set aside digital devices? Uh, I'm just going to do a little poll everywhere here. So if you will take out your phones, or if you're on your laptop, you can do that. Um, let me see if I can get to where I need to be. And you just need to um, text, if you're texting 22333, that's kind of hard to see, I'm going to, and then you're going to text Marge Terpstra 506, and then you can say, when do you set aside your digital devices? And I, I know that it's not a clean answer, um, but that's what we have to do with poll everywhere. And it's good to hear you helping each other if you can't see it. And if you don't have a phone and you want to do it on someone else's, um, they're allowed to do it again. So when do you set aside digital devices? We've got a 3 p.m. for A, 4 p.m. for B, 5 p.m. C. If you put them aside at 6 p.m., you'll do D. 7 p.m. is E. 8 p.m. is F. 9 p.m. And there's, there's no correlation with grades here. 9 p.m. is G. <laughs> 
7 p.m., 8, 11 p.m., I, midnight, J, and never, I'm always available, is K. Let's hear what you're thinking. Bedtime is 10 p.m., something <laughs> like that. That seems to be, look yeah. at almost a third of um, people are saying 10 p.m. is when I turn it off. Okay? But 16% are saying I'm always available. Right? I, that's always there. I know some of you are in that space of life where you might turn it off from 5 to 8, or you ignore it from 5 to 8, and then you're back on it again, too. But this is what um, I want you to be thinking about with me today. Just all it says is full and no longer accepting responses. So we're going to go with that right there. Back here. So as we think about time and setting aside devices and um, boundaries, so as we think about what do boundaries have to do with vision, because we're thinking about vision for Christian education, I think vision for life also, um, I want you to be considering that. What difference do boundaries make? And how do they impact vision um, as we um, consider, especially boundaries with digital technologies? So as Henry said, uh, this session comes out of a study that we did. We called it Technology and Educational Flourishing, New Technologies in a Christian School. And it was a five-year research project. We started collecting data in 2015 and um, basically did the data collection for three to four years in a K-12 Christian school system primarily and then another control group as well. Uh, this Christian school system had a one-to-one -one technology, which meant that all students had either a tablet or a laptop available to them all the time. Um, and I'll go through a little bit of the observations and analysis. But Digital Life Together is what the book ended up being called. Um, and we're going to look at just one chapter from that. The book is set up to be short chapters with discussion. Um, so hopefully we can have that discussion here today as well. Interesting, there's two of those. Okay. So in the study, we had online surveys, we had focus groups, we had classroom observations, and then case studies. So what you're going to hear today, we've pulled together from all of those. Uh, teachers and students were surveyed multiple times, and then also the focus groups. So we would say, we'd like to have a focus group of science teachers, or a focus group of new teachers. 
And we had over 30 focus groups and had good conversations and all of those. Then the classroom observations, teachers didn't know we were coming. We, um, except that day, they would find out they were going to be observed. And we had over 75 of those observations. So this just helps you get a little sense of where all of this is coming from. And then there were six teachers who agreed to have us in their classroom for a whole unit with our cameras rolling and um, students doing their work and us looking over their shoulder. So that's um, the richness of where it is. Uh, what's important to know is that, I'm just going to go, yeah, I can do it here. Um, we, so if you were calculating with me, we basically collected from 2015 through 2019 and wrote, and we're hoping to have the book out in the fall of 2019, but publication always takes longer, right? So when did it come out? Uh, we got our first copies in April of 2020, right in the middle of COVID, um, which has been a really good thing as well. We had some great discussions in a class over the summer with people all over the world. And um, we think about our own little space and how we're dealing with COVID. But then we were seeing people in their own spaces in Japan and in Kenya and in Uganda and it's like, oh, they're all in at home as well. So what we need to be thinking, what I need to be thinking about, and I want you to be thinking about, is the data, what I'm sharing with you, the results that I'm sharing with you, are pre-COVID, right? So I want you to be considering and saying, is it still this way? Or did something happen with COVID that changed it? Or that now we're getting back to that? Right, where are we now? And so we're going to be pausing to think about those things as well. So as we think about, um, as we looked through and we thought about what the teachers were talking about, administrators were talking about, we were noticing that there were considerations, concerns with increased time, increased workload, and blurring boundaries. And they generally fell into these different areas. Access to teachers, monitoring home activity, maintaining online presence, grading rhythms, parent communication. So we're going to look at each of those areas and what teachers talked about and what administrators talked about. And I want you to be thinking, too, not just what's happening with workload and time and boundaries, but also what's being taught or what's being caught, right? What's the hidden curriculum behind this as well? So first of all, access to teachers. This is a student talking. It's really important with teachers because you only get to see them 45 minutes a day. So at 9 o'clock at night, when you finally get to that homework and you have a question, they're still there because you can email them. Some of you are smiling, yeah, right? So that access to teachers is really important. Students were noticing that. Um, and we feel like we're available, but it's only 45 minutes a day, right? The from the teacher side saying, I think this is so hard to navigate because everyone feels like we need to be reachable at all times. Like it's not okay to not answer your cell phone. 
and another teacher, a big challenge is that expectation that since this is so fast, you just click and you have access and that you're also available and eagerly waiting to respond. <laughs> I know you all sit there in the evening, don't you? Why isn't my text coming through? I can't wait for them. Right? Um, so those are changing expectations about teacher availability. For any of you um, who started teaching about the time I did, our contact with students ended by 3.30, probably, right? Um, and it began when they walked in the door in the morning. So there's a difference here that students and teachers are noticing. Um, a teacher talked also about the opportunity here and said, I appreciate the emails from students at night because I can right away address the student's concern. So a student who missed class, a student who was sick, I can still say, here's a link, here's a website, go check this out, and I can take care of it right now. Even though it takes some moments, they are often running again. I think it's important from this teacher's standpoint also, they talked about how they wanted to make it so that students could learn on their own, that they wouldn't be sitting waiting by the computer for the teacher to respond. So this teacher had little videos uh, that were created for use in class, but then also posted and available for later on as well. Uh, there were links of resources right, so that students could find their way. Um, and other teachers talked about how they had peers working with each other to somehow alleviate that a bit. Okay, so here's where I need to hear from you, and I'm going to um, get into typing mode here. So talk to us about what's happening now with um, access to teachers. What are you feeling like? What are expectations? Yeah. I feel like one of the things that as we go into something that's a bit more like it was is student adjusting to the idea that we actually have time limits or like we're doing things in an order. Whereas uh, during 2020, um, so much of what we were doing and planning, it was supposed to like, hey, maybe today you don't get to chemistry, but you'll do double next time. Everything was very, very flexible, but that isn't necessarily the best way for them to do it. And so uh, that flexibility and definitely going into the year, the flexibility of like, well, do I have to even be in class? Um, just where's that line is been thrown into a, should we have that in a new spot now? What's expected? What's flexible? Right. And maybe we can be more flexible than we thought we could, mm -hmm. but maybe we can't be everything flexible. Okay. All right. So flexibility is one of those things that technology has always promised, right? Anywhere, anytime learning. Um, and so where's that flexibility? Is it important here? Do we give to that flexibility or do we put up some boundaries? And those are questions that we're asking, right? That's what wisdom asks. Where are we? Other thoughts, what are you noticing? Maybe what did you notice during 2020 and what are you noticing now in terms of expectations of teachers? Availability. 
Sometimes parents want a response right away. <clears throat> Anytime during the day or night, they want the response right then. And we will get to that one too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's increased because of COVID? <laughs> I'm looking at here and I'm seeing all these hats behind. <laughs> yes, okay. I think I noticed, just to piggyback, I feel like I've noticed, like, sometimes you realize, like, it's school. We're in school right now. And having kids do things, it's like, I just taught you last hour. I have a whole other group of people, but yet you're thinking that I'm just sitting home, you know? It's like, no, did you see those other kids coming? That's who I'm talking to now. Yeah. You know, I think we've all gotten used to that, right? That we're sitting in our own little spaces working. And so we must be available. One thing for me that through the COVID pandemic, um, like before, I feel like get an email or a phone call or something like that. If I didn't get to it, I didn't see it. I didn't feel bad. But then when COVID hit, I felt like I had more guilt about it if I didn't respond right away because it's like I don't know when they're working on stuff and I am actually literally just sitting at home now like before I wasn't just sitting at home I was resting at home and now I literally was at home and then I think that's definitely carried over where like I feel like still I have that guilt if I don't get to it right away because I don't know we all just got so ingrained in like COVID stuff and it just yeah <clears throat> Okay. Yes. I think on, a, uh, on another angle, making ourselves extremely available. So we're, you know, we're videoing lessons for kids right there, or kids can stream in, or we're, we're taking the time to do all of these uh, these extra things, and frustrating to see those uh, those resources and all that time that we put in not being taken advantage of. Um, that's also about the frustration. It's you know, hearing from hearing from parents, you know, hey, my kid needs X, Y, or Z, we provide it, but then they don't do it. So, oh, okay. So it just, it just adds an extra layer. Right, right. And are you seeing that now, too? Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right, this is helpful, I think, yes. I was going to just mention Sunday observance, too, because we are Christian educators. That day didn't seem very much different through COVID, where I felt it needed to be a day of rest more than ever before. And I think some of that residual has carried into this year, too, and how to get that boundary back again. Yes. I am finishing up teaching an online grad class, and it's been very hard. I, I wanted to post the materials on Monday, but students kept asking for them earlier, right? And, and I can do that, but yet, yeah, there's this piece of, I want to boundary that time, right? But we get to make those choices, too. All right. This is helpful um, to say, all right, where are we on this? And... It doesn't sound like there's a big change. Um, it sounds like you are navigating this. It's like a new territory again. Where are we going back or not? Another concern was the, the monitoring home activity. 
So because the laptops were going home with students, um, what, what happens there? And what's the teacher's responsibility? Does it end as soon as you walk out the door? Or do I have to be monitoring you as well? So a teacher um, talked about you know, when you're noticing things about <coughs> students' behaviors at home, how do you have that conversation? So it's more of a conversation when it comes up and you notice, hey, you were emailing me at 12 AM. Or another teacher says, we can make suggestions to parents. So here's talking to a student. Here's talking to parents during parent-teacher conferences or somewhere along the line in the hallway. Um, I notice that they're emailing. How long are they spending on their computer? Do you notice that they're flipping between things like Facebook and homework? And then I just give them suggestions. Right? So where does monitoring um, come into the teacher's role as well? Administrators said, you know, it's unfortunately just part of the responsibility that we've taken on. And a part of it is because we own the device, and that's strong and valuable and helpful. But if it wasn't our device, we probably wouldn't look over their shoulder quite as much. Um, so we've got the filters, right? Some schools do different filtering. Um, but how are we watching those behaviors, too? And the administ another administrator said, you know what? We are introducing things to kids at different paces than their parents might choose if it were totally up to them. So there is some responsibility that we bear. How many parents would choose to give a laptop to their child in fifth grade to take home and work with it the second half of fifth grade? Right? So the school's administrator is saying, you know what? There is some responsibility here that we're, we're dealing with as well. So I'm really interested in hearing about COVID because, you know, when I would talk with my grown adult children on FaceTime last year, they'd be sitting at their dining room table with their laptop working from home and then their kids sitting next to them as well. Um, so what do you notice about monitoring home behavior? Um, have you thought about that? Or have, has your school talked about it? Does it come up? I think the interesting thing that I found was we were getting talked to as teachers about taking care of ourselves and then giving ourselves boundaries, yet we were making education accessible all of the time to our students. And so we're preaching one thing to the staff to say, make sure you're setting down your computer, but we're also posting all the time and emailing all the time and like giving them that access. Yeah. Um, kind of a mixed message there. Right. Yeah. She said it's so much more than I'm um, writing it, but I just want to be able to um, capture that at least. Other thoughts? Yes? Our school had, uh, after having some issues with that, we had to post by a certain time, and we make sure that it was about 8 o'clock. All the lesson of the day was going to be there, so they have it early. They needed to have it there, so we were not posting all the time because they got they learned that real quick, and they would say, "Oh, she posted last night. I I cannot do it." So we post 
early. So you had to post by 8 a.m.? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And then they had usually a couple of days or what have you to finish. If they were just having LA Monday and Wednesday, they needed to complete it by the next Wednesday. So there was that, those days in between. Um, but I think it's unrealistic because we give them a computer, now we have to <coughs> monitor when. When does the parent come in and take, I will take the computer for my child at nine o'clock, period. It's on me, I'm not, it's, I think it's, it's unrealistic to believe the teachers now, the ones saying, hey, what was your child doing at 10 o'clock? This, this is not, when, when do we stop? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Where's that, uh, uh, as, as a male teacher, I was at a hard time Zooming with kids, um, particularly female students, and where kids are Zooming, um, that was always just really uncomfortable. Hey, I'm, I'm Zooming with you, 16-year-old girl, and you're in the bedroom. Like, it just feels not right. Um, and where is that? You know, what is it my place to, to tell the young adult, tell the parent, like, I'm not going to Zoom with your kid if you're not there? Or, yeah. But that was just from a Yeah, it's interesting when someone's sitting with a bunk bed behind and then all of a sudden there's a body that moves in the bunk bed. On. Oh, there's more than just the two of us talking here, right? Yeah, okay. So. One other thought. If, oh, no, you only get one thought a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like if you found that it, it, those struggles with technology and even as far as struggles with pornography or things like that happen more with our students whose parents are working full time. And so we found that a kind of a specific group of students was having more struggles with monitoring things like not keeping their laptops in their bedrooms or doing things like that was affecting a specific group of working parents. Mm -hmm. And so that's a difficult position to be in, knowing that you as an educational institution put it in their hands and then are dealing with the ramifications of them struggling with pornography, sending inappropriate emails to other students through their school account, knowing that you facilitated that with that school laptop. Yeah. I appreciate you pulling out these, these issues and things that you are dealing with. And, and some of the ways that you have talked about them and um, made some changes as well. An another concern that teachers talked about was maintaining their online presence. Uh, so a teacher talked about, she said, I sat down earlier this summer and spent umpteen hours setting up my websites for this year. When I let myself, and they went on to say, you know, there was just so much and I just really wanted to get updated. But I also know that the apps are going to change and what's available is going to change, so I know I'm going to have to adjust it. When I let myself pick out what's best for now and continue to add things later, it feels like, okay, we're doing something right. So there's so much out there. There's so much you can put on your website on how you keep that updated as well. Um, and so teachers talked about things like, you know what, it takes a, a, quite a bit of time to share a classroom work with parents and families. And here's here how 
we might be hearing more elementary secondary, right? Some of these might be more elementary concerns. But then also um, engaging with online professional learning communities. Um, some teachers really talked about that, how they are in these online communities where they're getting ideas, where they're posing problems, and how do they keep all of this together? It's kind of like, how do you do face-to-face -face and you're online and keep all of it um, balanced at the same time? Here's the big question. Did you have time during COVID to maintain an online presence? Or, you know, how many of you, what are you struggling with? Or what have you noticed? Has it changed since COVID? Have expectations changed of that online presence? I, I definitely felt because all of school was online, then any other online things I might have done, it's like, yeah, I don't want to look at a computer again. So, um, yeah. I wasn't doing much online professional learning community. I was just keeping my job. <laughs> How many of you relate with that, to that, right? I think it felt like keeping my head above water, right? I, I made that recording for class, and now we, yeah. Anyone else? I found with COVID, I was on at 6.30 in the morning, getting things prepped, and then my very anxious students were emailing me incessantly, and with capital letters, exclamation points, please answer me. And, you know, you have a class, I have two sections, so 50 students emailing back and forth, and then parents would jump in when they were done with their work day, saying, I finally have time to help, and I was going until midnight. Because mm -hmm. some parents were trying to keep their head above water and trying to help their students. So that availability from 6.37 morning until midnight, and then trying to prep and make videos, and then you just start all over the next day. But I feel it has continued. I still have families. This is when I can get to it, and they want you available because now they're ready to help their child with the homework. Or the texts that come through at 2 in the afternoon about a bus change or a car change. And I giggle and think, I'm actually teaching your child right now. I truly, I don't have an Apple Watch. I'm just not that generation. So. I'm forever sending this text back to you. I'm so sorry. I never saw this. Please call the office. If it's the, I mean, they just think you are available at all times. Kind of on their schedule sometimes now, when it works for them. And how many of us just hope something will get through, right? As, we're, as we text someone, right? I think it's, what's our attitude as well as we're emailing, right? When do we do that? Right. Yeah. And I don't know if that pertains to that, but uh, the expectation, like before COVID, a student was absent, and he was just absent. You didn't have to have a computer and now like speak to that student. So they go home for whatever reason. It's like, and you can join to your class today. So here, and that has implication, right? We have to prepare now for this student. They immediately they want to be in class. It's not like, okay, when you come back, you're going to catch up. Uh, there's not such thing now being sick. It's just life in them. 
it's kind of like um, the school that we were part of said, you know what, there is no such thing as snow days anymore, mm -hmm. right? And for those of us who grew up with snow days, it's like, how do you live without a snow day? Right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Jump back. You can hear the overlap in some of these concerns, too. So another grading rhythm, right? <laughs> a student emails you and they say, well, where are my grades? We just took the five minutes, the quiz five minutes ago. Right? Because they're used to those the, the quick multiple choice where they do get a response. So isn't that true of short answer ones and essay ones? Right? Someone turns in something a month late and you take a week to grade it and they say, where's my grade? Do you have my grade? So technology has helped us to be efficient, right? There are so many efficiencies that we have. We can email all of our students at the same time rather than writing out notes and handing them to all of them or sending letters. But sometimes those efficiency expectations enter in places where they're not possible or they're not understandable. So how do we, how do we balance those, those desires for efficiencies? when maybe they're not realistic, too. Uh, how have grading rhythms changed um, in COVID, if at all? <clears throat> Going back, yeah. I want to I jump in on this, because we just, uh, a couple weeks ago, had parent-teacher conferences. And um, during COVID, wisely, and I completely 100% agree, we were asked pull back, pull back, pull back. Just keep the essentials. Don't, you know, everybody's, you know, we're all in the same storm, but people are riding in different boats, and some of them have a lot of holes in them. And so, um, you know, it's more, did you do it? Uh, there's no due date. Uh, it's, it's really quite, if, if a kid is in a really stable spot, they were getting, frankly, a poor education because I, I just wasn't, putting out challenges at a time when just two plus two is the challenge. Yeah. Or just, you know, turning something in. But now that things are a bit more normal, what happened in a parent-teacher conference, I've got a student who's new to high school. I teach high school, so it's a ninth grader. They're coming into high school, and they've just spent, you know, essentially a year and a half in COVID land. And, uh, and, and the parents said, not much has been expected of my child for the last year and a half. And they're still adjusting to that. And normally, the adjustment to high school is an adjustment. So the idea of a due date is really beyond this child. And the idea that you're going to have to think about your answer, and it's not going to be a five-second thing. And, and so, um, yeah, so those rhythms and trying to help students along, because I know I feel like I'm dealing with students who haven't matured in ways I didn't realize kids matured, if you will. And to, to add to that, yesterday we were talking and I teach middle school, and the kids don't know how to raise their hand, how to stay still. You know, they stand up when they feel like they need to stand up. They, they don't have the habits or routines established before because they haven't had them. I didn't realize we taught so much that we don't teach what we are teaching. You don't realize how much those kindergarten and first grade teachers teach, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is their curriculum a lot, right? Yeah. I think there are some opportunities here too, right, to say, 
So what really do we need, right? Which things do we let drop off? And which things do we grab back on again, too? Yeah, I was... I'm going to let you jump in. No? Um, I was. This isn't totally COVID necessarily, but it applies to that too. But like, I'm not that old. And even when I was in high school, we only saw our grades like four times a year. You like see them halfway through the semester and then that semester. And so there was a lot more like self-reflection as you went through a semester of like, oh, I didn't do very well on that last quiz. My grade probably went down a little bit. I should make sure I'm more on top of it. Or it's just more like kind of onus on the kid themselves. And then I feel like now, like, my kids get a notification when I enter a score. Like, on their phone, it pops up and says, you just got an 8 out of 10. And then they're in my room two minutes later, like, my mom's going to kill me. Like, this is going to end. So I get, like, anxious when I am entering scores. And, like, I feel like I'm strategic about it, that I'm, like, not entering them until... 4 p.m. because then they can't come to my room and then they're emailing me at 4 p.m. And the parents, I think, with COVID specifically, they kind of had to be more involved in, like, monitoring. Like, they kind of took some of the ownership that we take in class of, like, making sure their kids on track and um, all of that. So I think parents have, like, they get a notification on their phone, too, and then the parents texting their kid while they're in another class. And... So you just gave me an eight out of ten on the score. Blah, blah. So that's what like I just think a lot about is that then there's this like immediate like, well I can't play in the football game tomorrow if my grade doesn't get up above an A, so you've got to grade this now and then it's a lot, but I have a lot of feelings about that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's pre COVID and right in there too. Yeah. I I don't know if it fits in here, but one of the things I think was difficult too was determining how much effort to put into kids not cheating. Um, you know, I think that just got real prevalent. I do um, senior statistics, and I had 45 kids, and I could tell they were copying and not doing the work. So I actually one time just decided, I'm going to do nine different quizzes. And get five people, you know, randomly get five people quizzes. I had people handing in quizzes that they didn't even get assigned. Um, so I got to the point where, do I put all that time into making these quizzes and tests, or do I just say, you know, it's their own fault, they're not learning, you know, and how much effort do you put into that? Yeah, good questions. And it just gets much, you know, this may be happening in other ways, too, or in different ways earlier. So how are we dealing with it now as well? Um, and I think for a lot of these kids, a year and a half is a pretty significant <coughs> percentage of their life. Yeah. So some of the patterns that we built in the last year and a half are pretty significant patterns when you look at the span of their life. Yeah. That's, uh, Henry and I were talking just earlier that um, I know how much my parents were shaped by the years of the Depression. Mm-hmm. Right? And how that carried through their lifetime. Right? Mm-hmm. And World War II. Uh, so, yeah, how are these young people being shaped at this time, and how do we help them? How do we help them in that shaping and asking the questions, right? And uh, so when you have the opportunity to cheat, when it's so easy, uh, let's talk about that, right? How do we process this together, and, and how is that impacting your learning? Uh, it's, it's not easy, right? Uh, and because we're balancing also 
how are we going to get through those nine different quizzes, right, and grading them in different ways, and keeping track of who got what. Uh, we can make it much more complicated, too. And then it's even more of a workload, right? Um, yeah. One of the things that strikes me as I listen to this is there's two things happening. One is technology, and the other one is the pandemic. And that technology has moved incredibly over the last number of years. But we were somewhat a little bit immune to that within the school system. Then the pandemic happened, and suddenly we embraced all this technology that we hadn't embraced before. And there's that fundamental impact. So in my mind, it's more about the technology. And we were forced or encouraged to embrace that technology really, really fast. And now trying to figure out, wow, what what does that mean? And I'm I'm fond of saying that my daughter here would would probably uh, espouse just sometimes because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean we should. So we're wrestling with kids saying, hey, should we give them access to the classroom, right? If they, you know, if, if they aren't in school and they're sick, then let's just let them zoom into the classroom. And they're going, but the very kids who should be in school will be the first ones to call in and say, oh, it's Friday um, or Monday and I'm not in school. I just want to zoom in. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's not good for you. We make it too. We may make it too easy for them just to stay home. Yes. yes. Because the technology's there, they can access the lesson. We go, yeah, but that's not a good long-term plan. And for anxious students who stay home, like are sick and stay home, they now again like further that anxiety of, well, I actually should be resting because I am ill or positive with COVID, <laughs> but I feel the pressure then to be present and completely active in my classroom and action. Because I feel like with students who had COVID, like we had real kids with real health problems who needed to be resting and didn't need to be doing their math assignment. But because it was accessible to them, they felt they, they needed felt that pressure. So that's, I think, what's really amazing. As you said, yes, it's been available. What was great about this Christian school system is that they had been doing this for 10 years. Right? If we uh, look at the history, they said, you know what, when we started 10 years ago, it was gung-ho. Everybody used it all the time, all the time. And by the time that we were studying them, they had had conversations. They had moved to spaces of saying, we're going to use it here, but we're not going to use it there. How do we help our students uh, develop wisdom and discernment around their use of digital technologies? How do we use them ourselves? And how do we model that as well? So that's, I think, the wisdom that comes from them from those 10 years is just powerful. And I, I hope that some of these pieces will help you as you move forward, too. And get to talking to people who have been in this for a while. Yes, it's different because of COVID, right? It's changed. Um, and we're all doing things differently. But I hope there's opportunity to say, do we go back or where do we land? Um, How do we work with that? So here's, you already talked about parent communications. In fact, you know, this sounded like one of yours. The communication expectation is almost sometimes instantaneous. We're in a service-oriented business, so you do it and keep parents happy. 
but it's 3 o'clock, and the message is, I'm picking up my daughter at 3.05. And that same idea of, I'm teaching. I can't respond to that. Uh, we don't have it from kids, but parents assume that we are on 24-7. You've, you've already talked about that, that you're feeling that now as well. So the challenge is, how do we develop community norms? Right? How do we deal with this? Because one person is hearing all the things that everybody's doing and saying, I got to do all of that. Right? And another person is really good at boundaries. If you're like me, um, you probably have someone very close to you who is the opposite on boundaries. And isn't that a gift that God gives us opposites? Right? But in community, we can talk about that as well. So to say, you know what, as we're thinking, what are expectations and how can we make those clear? Um, at the beginning of the year, you are always making things clear with your students, right? Here are the expectations. I expect you to be here on time. I expect you to be participating in group work, right? We're doing all of those kinds of things. And so shouldn't we have that in our community too? The expectation is that uh, Teachers may respond in the evening via email, but that's a bonus. Or maybe it's teachers are available from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. That's something to discuss what works with your community. Or maybe these teachers are available at that time. Right? What about weekend pieces? I mean, when I send a colleague an email on the weekend, I'll just put the note, you don't have to deal with this right now. Uh, but I want to send it off so that I don't have to remember it, right? And to just, and then they'll respond back. So there's always that, mm, do I send it or not? But how do we help one another and how do we share those expectations? And, you know, how do we talk about this together? How can we protect our time, our workload? You know, what are the expectations? Can we protect it in a bit and say, you know what? If you do this amount on your, your website presence, that's enough, right? Yes, there's always more, but we have to deal with the fact that we are finite. Uh, there's a great prayer that we do with my students of, um, we are ministers, not messiahs, right? We are workers, we are not messiahs. And to know, right, to be able to settle into that but you know what? With technology, it just keeps taking you because you can do one more thing. Oh, and just one more thing, right? To leave this PowerPoint the way that it is right now is not so easy because there's more that I could have done with this, right? So how do we let go and just let it um, trust that it's enough and that we are enough as well? Because we know that we are enough. In Christ, we are enough. To say... What's minimally expected, or even what's not expected, right? To talk about that as faculty and staff together, to, to just put it out there. It's been good to hear all of you talking, so I hope you bring this conversation back. Not just as a negative, like, oh, these parents, they're just expecting stuff all the time, right? Well, did you ever tell them that you're not going to be available at that time? <clears throat> Right? And what are you teaching through that to your students, too? As you said, you know, I'm not going to be available on Sundays. 
I really set that day aside. I need that for worship. I need that for quiet and peace. Um, so you can email me, but I won't be getting back to you either. I think that's only fair to lay out those expectations as well. Some more things to think about. Okay, how often is communication going to happen? Um, when are teachers available? What are the grading timelines? Is it instantaneous? Or um, do you, are you going to have to wait for this? Also talking about, yeah, how far does that learning support extend beyond the school day? Uh, and what are expectations about mentoring parents or monitoring what's going on at home? So I'd, I'd like to hear from you what expectations or what conversations have you had already? What can you share with the rest of us to say, oh, yeah, we did this. And here's what happened, or here are some ideas. I'm not sure that I'm going to answer your question, but related to it, I feel like it's super important to have the administrators be communicating where the lines are. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily like you may not email a parent after 8 o'clock, but to let, to speak often it is okay for you to get an email from a parent in the evening and you respond to it the next day or three days later. I don't know, whatever. But hearing your administrator say it suddenly means something different. Saying, so you're saying saying to teachers yeah. or to parents? Like or both. To, well, to both. Okay. But, but, you know, it's one thing to go, I'm going to set up a boundary. It's another when the administrator says, you know, my principal is telling me, Here's a, here's a boundary I'd like you to make. Mm -hmm. you, you have flexibility about it, but you are not expected to be instantly available. And I don't want you to start setting that up with, you know, because when one's doing it, now they want it out of everybody and, you know, or whatever. So administrators need to, they, they set a tone. And that's where that talking about it together is mm -hmm. really important, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, stating expectations, kind of like we do for our students. Um, this was actually a previous district I was at, um, but I remember the chief academic officer talking about how he would sometimes, email, he was actually talking to us about boundaries in my first year teaching, and he had talked about how he would email at like 10 o'clock at night because that's when his kids went to bed, that's when he got time to check it, and <laughs> teachers were emailing him back immediately, and he's like, oh no, like I didn't mean for you to do that. So he realized he needed to say that, like, hey, I'm emailing you. You do not need to respond. It's just my kids are in bed. I now have time to respond or to your email or to, to send you an email. But because he was so high up, people were thinking, oh, I need an immediate response. And so it was helpful to hear him talk about boundaries and, as you said, like, echoing that. Like, when an administrator um, says this is not an expectation, then it's like, okay, otherwise, internally, you're always kind of, oh, should I, because so-and-so is doing it. So you have that guilt factor of, I'm choosing not to, but yet still the internal battle yeah. versus when an administrator is, or when you're clear with parents of, these are, this is my expectation, this is when I respond or when I don't. Yes? We did have at our school a discussion about the, um, 
zooming in if a kid's absent, etc. And and we set up the expectation again with some flexibility that if you have something and it will work and a kid is sick for just a day, they certainly can join your class, but the expectation is only when they are quarantined because of COVID or an extended illness and it's like we will communicate with the teacher when online, you know, remote learning for that kid is an expectation of you. But until the school tells me that, it's it's an option for me, but I don't have to. And that the school was going to actively be watching for people going, I'd like to go to Florida, my kid will just be online for a week. And it's like, uh, no, we're not doing that at all. Because that was our fear. Yeah. yeah. I think Good. the only thing that's been cool is largely, at least my experience with students, if you talk them through it, they're really respectful and they understand, but it's like you have to sort of talk them through it, and they've been great, even if that's not necessarily where they start. And I think that really tells us what we're teaching, right? How are we teaching them to live life, right? We're modeling it all the time. And so having these conversations allows them to consider, oh, I could have that conversation with someone. I could do that same thing about this boundary or another boundary. I had one other thing. I think just thinking through this, it actually it can kind of be a way that we do shine a light in the world. Like I'm thinking of someone else that um, I was talking to and she's like, oh, I tell my parents like she rides horses and has the kids come and she gives them lessons. She's like, I don't work on Sunday. And like even her saying that, even though I do that myself, it's so rare that it's like, oh, like it shows that that's a value to her. And I know our previous superintendent had said that when he hired me, he was like, we, you know, if you're sick, that's different. And like you had to get subplanes, but other than that, I don't want you to come in on Sunday. So like hearing that shows that that's your value. So I think by us setting values, um, kind of like with behavior, like kids will push to, I've heard when I was babysitting one time, they'll push until they get to the limit because they want to know what the limit is and it makes them feel safe. So I feel like right now, like parents are just, you know, they're curious. Like if there's not a limit, they're going to go to it or kids will. And so I think it actually can be cool because it shows our true values when they're pushed. <laughs> yeah. We can speak it so much, but when we enact it, it's much more powerful. Um, I'll oftentimes choose to schedule emails. Yeah. I'm going to send them out on the weekends especially, um, just so that other teachers don't feel like they have to respond because I don't need to respond to those in class on Monday, so I just set it for you know early Monday morning, but then they all think I'm up working at that time. <laughs> so I tell them, like, no, I just schedule yeah. them. Yeah. So use those tech settings, yeah. right? Okay. Last year we had, in sixth grade, which is very much um, you know, we had to send laptops home to have them easily accessible in case they had to go to quarantine really quickly. But this year we switched our norm to be that we're not sending them home the first quarter at all. And trying to establish those routines of transitioning to middle school again, like a big transitional year. And then second quarter, sending them home with a very specific purpose. And to say, like, embracing that beautiful side of technology is, for, you know, for band tonight, you'll be recording your practice session and sending that into your teachers so they can give you feedback. Like, that's a beautiful side of technology that we don't want to deny for these kids in their lives that they'll be moving forward. But then having that purpose be like, okay, great, that's done. Now go do what fills your bucket. 
whether that's sports practice, whether that's whatever it is, but making that transition this year. And then third quarter we'll do a little bit more, and then fourth quarter we'll do a little bit more. So for seventh grade, that'll set them up. I'm really excited about it. I can't say I know the effects just yet, but I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. All right. I wondered in your study, did you have any in that school that refused to have the technology in their homes or take the devices home? Because we still have a few parents, like you mentioned, the pace we're giving this to them is faster. Yeah. I think post-COVID now, sort of, we're, we're, more parents are apt to have that. But there are still some, like I teach fourth grade and fifth grade, for sure you would need to have a device by then at home a computer that they can use. And they, they do not. There's many. Like you send things like Kahoot or quizzes, and they have to do it all at school. They have nothing to go to at home. So I wonder how we get them on pace a little bit faster, too. Right. I think because of the school's history with technology, people knew that when you go to that school, you're going to be using it. There was hesitancy on the part of parents, and in fact, one of the things we heard was they are using technology all the time at school. So it was really good to go to our observations and say, no, they are not using it all the time. Because kids would say to their parents, I have to be on it at home. <coughs> right? And so navigating that as well. Yeah. Wow. So a few last words here from um, an administrator. We are inherently valuable as spouses, as children, as parents, as siblings, but also as children of God. You are not just a teacher. Do not believe that lie. Do not be here all the time. Go home. We need a larger picture of what life is, not only in Christ, but giving to their families, to their friends, to their communities. And so do not just be the teacher who's here 12, 13, 15, 16 hours a day. That's not good for anyone. And I, I think this really cuts at a large part of it, right? But I think we also have to look at that here. And what does here mean, right? Is here just in our classrooms at school? Or is here available as well? Um, so we need to watch those boundaries. And I'm going to end, instead of ending, well, I can end with this book. I know that you're wondering, if you want to see what happened, everything gets thrown out the window. <laughs> and they end up reading, and what's the last picture? Reading Goodnight Moon, right? The, uh, the last paragraph of this chapter, just kind of navigating the pressures of the new digital medium, is one area in which the idea of Christian community may need to function not only as the goal, but also as the means. The community needs to work together to intentionally develop and monitor shared boundaries and expectations. This is not a simple task, and it's an ongoing one. But it is an important one if the schools are to successfully address the human cost of increased connectivity. So blessings to you as you navigate this, right? as you are shaping young people in this very important time. If you want to hear more about our study, I know that Steve McMullen, who was, so David Smith, Kara Sevensman, Steve McMullen, and I worked together on it. 
He's doing a sectional, I think, on screen time tomorrow. So thanks for your participation. Thank you.